0: Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. One of the more memorable lines in Field of Dreams is when shoeless Joe Jackson asks farmer Ray Kinsella if his ball field is heaven, and Kinsella replies, no, this is Iowa. Lead teacher Jeff Norris starts the series Heaven with this sermon entitled Longing for Heaven, which uses various texts. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Excited,
1: I don't know what the word is, but really, really, really pumped to open this new series called Heaven. So let's pray. Father, thanks for this time together this morning. Would you bless it as we open your word? Lord, we believe that your word is holy and inerrant, breathed by the Holy Spirit through the hands of men, translated through the ages, for our benefit now to hear from you. And so we trust this morning that your word would not return void, that it would bear much fruit and that you would soften hearts, that you would give minds clarity of understanding. And that most of all, Lord, you would draw people unto yourself and would you do it for your glory? For your name alone, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I think we all know what it's like to long, to have a longing, sometimes that is so deep that uh, we can't even put words to it, That, that, that it's such a deep longing within us that perhaps even it only manifests in a groan. Longing is something that we uh, can have for a person, for a place, for a thing, a longing for uh, a new car, whatever it may be. The first time I ever experienced this, that I can remember, this deep longing, too deep for words, was I was going into fourth grade And I was away at camp for the first time. It wasn't a day camp like Camp All-American. It was an overnight camp called Camp Briarwood just south of Birmingham. Many of you are familiar with Briarwood Church. And so I go away on this camp. I got a couple of my buddies with me from the little town that I grew up in. And the first day of camp was pretty good, but I was a little nervous. And that night, we sang a song. And I was starting, the homesickness was starting to set in. And I was feeling so uh, desperate longing for my parents. I wanted to be home, and so we sing the song, and it made such an imprint on my heart because, well, you'll you'll see why. Uh, I can remember the words of the song. It was a song that the staffers had written for that week's theme, and it was, "It's amazing how you love me. It's amazing how you care. It's amazing that you're always thinking of me all the time, everywhere." Now that's supposed to be about God, but I sing it every day about my parents. I'll always in this early service, I heard it too. I heard a few, aw. But I was so homesick, and so I would sing it every time, and I, uh, tears would fill my eyes, and I would just be like, it's amazing, Mom and Dad, how you're always thinking of me all the time, everywhere. Now, I know now as a parent, that's not true. I love you. I love you. My kids are over here. I love you. I am not thinking about you all the time, everywhere. God, God is perhaps, yeah, maybe, okay, but not parents. But at the time, I thought that was true, and I was singing glory to my parents because I was so homesick. I was longing for them. Another time was uh, several years later in college, just finished my sophomore year. Rachel and I go on summer projects. A beach, beach projects with a ministry at the time called Campus Crusade for Christ. And she goes to San Diego for the summer. I go to Panama City and I am missing her like crazy. And we're coordinating how to talk to each other on payphones. <laughs> how crazy is that? I mean, think about that for a moment. The world we live in now, right? Our kids don't know what payphones are, they see them, they're like relics in museums now. But we were coordinating, okay? And I don't remember how we coordinated. You don't have cell phones. I guess we wrote letters. All right, meet. right, I'm gonna be at the phone at 10.30 on Tuesday night. I don't know how it worked, but we, we met up on payphones, And it would just be this bomb to my aching heart of, oh, I got, to, I got to talk to her. Something that's interesting though, both at the camp when I was little and that summer on Summer Project, the longing never went away, but I became more content with where I was. By the end of the week of camp, by that Friday, I still missed my parents, but I had loved me some camp. And so the longing was not quite as strong because I became content with my present reality. The same with Rachel, I still missed her so desperately. But by the end of that summer project, there was a contentment with my new world, with what I knew that had not been there in the first several weeks, And so there's this longing that is innate within us, is instinctive within every human for something more. Now you may argue with that, and that's fine. We can have that conversation. Some people say there's nothing after death, right? But I will argue with you that being made in the image of God has placed within us a longing that exists within the human experience that there's something more than this life. There's something out there. There has to be something because if this broken, desperate, feeble experience that we have here, wow, that was encouraging. If this is all we know, then what's the point? There has to be more. And so we're created with this longing within us, but we don't often know it's even there because we're so content here. We, the longer we've stayed here, it's all we've ever known. We don't even know a previous, right? But the longer we're here, the more attached we are to the earth, but not just the earth, the things of the earth, the relationships of the earth. And so what ends up happening is that even those who believe upon Jesus and are absolutely convinced that there is a heaven and that they are gonna go there upon death don't wanna go. There's a fear of death that, Permeates even the culture within Christianity. There's not a longing, there's a fear. And the fear takes away the longing because we just love our stuff so much. I talk to Christians often, and they are they love Jesus. And they are convinced that when they die because of the finished work of Jesus, not because of anything they've done, that's where they're gonna go. And then I say, okay, are you eager for that day? Uh, no, why would I be eager for that day? Not in a morbid way, not in a self-harming way, but in a healthy, this is the, the prompting of God with which he created me to long for him in his dwelling place. That's where we're headed in this series. We're gonna talk about heaven. We're gonna talk about how uh, the longing of heaven should be deep within the heart of every human. And we're gonna talk about all kinds of stuff. The, the more I studied for this series, we planned these things months and months and months and months ago. And the more I've, I've planned for it coming up on it, I'm going, why in the world did we only give this four weeks? We should have given it like 12. There is so much to say, so there there will probably be a part two at some point, so look forward to that. So in many ways, this will only be an introduction. Today is definitely an introduction to where we're headed in the next three weeks. And when we think about heaven, there's so many questions, is there not? And there's so many questions that we can't answer. There are so many questions that I just have to go, I don't know. That's a great question. Somebody came up to me after the service and said, hey, really enjoy the sermon, I got a question for you. He asked me a question, I said, I don't know. I think he was disappointed, but I, I don't know. I don't know what that's gonna be like. I wish I could show you pictures. I wish I could say, hey, look, this is what it's gonna look like. I can't do that. There are so many questions. I mean, questions like this. Is there life, let's start at the basics. Is there life after death? Do we, can we even know that? is there a heaven? Can we know that? What's it going to be like? If there is a heaven, how does one get there? Is there any assurance that you can go to heaven? Will we be married in heaven? Will we recognize each other in heaven? Will we know what's going on on the earth in heaven? Right? I'm a big sports guy. So you watch, watch games all the time where uh, a, a player has, has lost a loved one recently. And what do they always say? If they performed well, they're interviewed after the game and they go, uh, you know, I know she's in heaven looking down, seeing this, and so proud. Like, do do we know? Is she? Maybe. So many questions, and far too many questions that in this four-week series that we could ever begin to answer. But we do wanna try to answer some. And where the Bible speaks to it, we wanna speak to it. Because here's the thing, the Bible does talk a good bit about heaven. Not as much as we want to, it. we wish it spoke even more about it, but it certainly speaks about it sufficiently. Enough for us to have a longing within us that we trust that we know will one day be fulfilled. And so here's the three questions I wanna focus in on this morning. The first one is simply this. I've already posed these questions in the ones I just threw out there, but the first one is, is there a heaven? And what I'm gonna do is, we answer these questions, I'm just gonna let the scriptures speak for themselves for the most part. I mean, I already prayed it this morning. We believe at this church that the Bible is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. And so we're gonna let the scriptures speak. There's another conversation for another day that we'd love to have with you in your place. If you're in a place that you really doubt that the Bible is trustworthy, then we'd love to have that conversation with you. But that's, a, that's not the topic of today's uh, uh, sermon. I'm just gonna uh, operate off the, uh, the foundation, the assumption that we are coming into as a church that this is God's word. And I'm gonna let God's word speak. Is there a heaven? Secondly, if there is a heaven, how does one get there? And then lastly, what is the point of heaven? Why should I even look forward to it? Now, kids that are gonna be a part of the wild goose chase Scavenger hunt. I want you to pay attention because those the answers to those three questions are going to be a part of what you're searching for. Okay? We are not past bribing kids to pay attention to the sermon. <laughs> we are totally comfortable with that. And if you answer them correct correctly, there'll be some type of prize. I don't even know what it is, but pay attention. I, they won't be long sentence answers, it'll be one-word answers. So we're trying to make this really, really easy for you. Is there a heaven? Let's see what God's word says. God's word first talks about heaven primarily, first and foremost, is the place where God dwells. So think about this, for example. When Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe. What is he meaning? Well, part of what he's meaning, we're gonna talk much more about the kingdom of heaven. We're gonna talk about what does it mean uh, that heaven would come to earth. Remember how he prays though? He Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So first he acknowledges the father who is in heaven, a father who art in heaven. But then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, God, what we most desire, what we most long for is that through the person of Jesus Christ, the rule and the reign of God that exists in heaven now would come to bear more and more on the earth. That the kingdom of heaven would take root here. And that we as people who know the king, Jesus, would be about bringing that rule and reign of God who is in heaven on earth earth. So there's that part of it that we'll talk more about in future weeks. But then there's a second part of it that just talks about where we go. That the hope, the living hope of the Christian is that we will be with God one day. Now, what I'm about to say, you came here this morning for an uplifting message, but this part's not going to be very uplifting. We're all going to die. It's going to happen. There's no way around it. So where do we go? Well, the Bible speaks very clearly about that. Jesus and the apostles spoke very clearly about that. We'll start in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is commonly called the hall of fame of faith. This is recounting the number of people. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list of the number of people who have gone before the church at this point in time in history, which is the first century AD, when this is being written, and all the ones who have gone before them up into this point who were full of faith. And they were trusting in two things, one in God, but secondly, in his promises. Promises about what? First, promises about the one who was to come, the Messiah but secondly, about the rule and the reign of that Messiah and the implications for that reign on our lives. And so with that, Jesus spoke about that. Said, okay, the kingdom is here, I'm the king, what does that mean for us? And what does it mean for you, both not only now, which is certainly important, but for when you die? So they're recounting all these people who never received their reward, as it were, here on this earth. They were brutally killed. They were killed for their faith. They never saw the promised land. That's Moses, and so on and so forth. And so in this recounting, this is what the author of Hebrews says. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, meaning seen with eyes of faith, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is ultimately not what I'm longing for. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, listen to this, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Again, we'll talk in future weeks about, okay, what does that mean? What kind of city, and and where is this city gonna be, and and what, what am I to expect when God starts talking, especially in Revelation, about this city that is to come? But the point here is that God is preparing a place and has prepared a place for those who by faith trust in him and his promises and the promised one. Then we look at the next one. If you look at uh, John chapter 14, in John 14, this is a a famous passage of scripture where Jesus is uh, with the disciples on the last night before his crucifixion. So this is on a Thursday night and John records for us what the other three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't record for us. He records for us this really long conversation and really teaching and then ultimately a long prayer of Jesus on that night the night that he uh, uh, was with them. It's called the upper room discourse. It's what we commonly call it. And it's in the context of this that he begins to tell them about what's gonna happen. Not only that he's gonna be crucified and raised from the dead, but then he begins to talk about where he's going. And they're confused by that. This is what he says, John chapter 14, verse one. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, let me just pause right there very briefly and say this, that's an unbelievably comforting word. He's about to die. They know this, even though they don't fully get it and understand why, but he says to them, let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Can you imagine you've sold everything? You've given your whole life to this carpenter Uh, this Jewish Nazarene carpenter who you are convinced is the long promised awaited Messiah. And then he says to you, because you're not fully getting how the kingdom comes yet. He says to you, Hey guys, I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going away. I don't know about you, but my heart would be troubled deeply. And he says to them, let not your heart be troubled as if they would go. Okay, sure. Sure. But he says, let not your heart be troubled. Why though? Why? Here's why. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because here's where, what that gets you when you believe in him. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also." He's going somewhere and he's preparing that place because he wants to take us there. And when Jesus says, I will come again, we can bank on it because everything he said that would happen about during his time on earth did happen. He kept saying, I'm gonna be handed over to the authorities. I'm gonna be beaten. I'm gonna be crucified. I'm gonna be buried and then I'm gonna rise again. He said it, he said it multiple times. No one believed him. Even his disciples were like, "Uh, no, that should not happen. But it did happen, he said it would, it did. So when he says, I will come again, we can trust it. And when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, we can trust that as well. And when he says, so that you may be where I am also, we can trust that as well. The King is a trustworthy King. The New Testament continues as we try to answer this question, is there a heaven? The New Testament keeps talking about the Old Testament as well, that there is this place called heaven. Second Corinthians five, one and two says, for we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home is destroyed, talking about your body, We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Peter says this, the apostle Peter, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We sang about that earlier, this living hope. When, when the scripture, I'm going to finish this verse in a second, but when the scripture talks about hope, it's not, it's not the way we use it in modern English. I hope that happens. I hope Alabama wins another national championship. I hope, sorry. I hope that I hope he proposes. I hope whatever it may be. It's this wishful thinking that we have no control over. When the Bible talks about hope, it's a sure hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's God promised it. And so my hope is in what He's promised. Not will it happen, but when it happens, that's what I'm hoping in. There's a surety to the hope that the Bible speaks of. And so what... Peter's saying here is that we've been born again, spiritually recreated at the heart level to now be centered on the King and His kingdom, which is the rule of heaven on earth in me and through me. And so, with that, my hope is also set on what's to come, which is what is it? An inheritance that is, listen to these words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you. I'm holding it for you. It's here for you, and it is not going anywhere. It is sure. So to the question, is there a heaven, the Bible time and time again gives a resounding yes. Yes, yes. What about to the question of how does one get there? is this not the question that all of religion is tailored toward answering answering all of us many have concluded there is no life after death many have concluded there is but the way to get to whatever it is after death is all kinds of answers and all of those answers with all the world's religions are always based on one thing what do i have to do how do i have to live my life in order to warrant my way into heaven It's always performance-driven morality at some level in every world religion, except for one. Except for one, and it's Christianity, because Christianity actually teaches, Jesus teaches that uh, we all have a sin problem, every single one of us, that we're created by a holy God to be in perfect union with him. But we chose our will, our way, our glory over his will, his way, his glory. we did that in the garden. You say, I wasn't there. I'm not Adam and Eve. But we were born with their residue in our hearts. We were born with the sinful nature. So from the very first breath we take, our fist is shaking at God. We don't want him. We don't think he's real. We don't think he's good. And if he does exist, we think he uh, is, is mean, that he's against us, that he's coming after us. And what the Bible tells us is this, is that the wrath of sin is nothing that we want. But the bad news is that the wrath of sin, the punishment of sin from a holy God is on us because we're the sinners. We're the ones who have offended a holy God. And he's not just holy, he's just because if he's not a God of justice, then he's not God. And so as he executes his justice upon sin, he rightfully... He rightfully pours out that justice upon those who have sinned. But the good news of the gospel and the only way to heaven is that there is one who has come, who has said, I will be the only one, whoever walks the face of the earth, who doesn't deserve the wrath of God. The standard for getting into heaven is perfection. And all of us have blown it with our first breath. All of us. But there is one who has come who says, I will with every breath I take achieve the standard for you. I will be perfect in your place. And then because of my great mercy and my great love for you, I will not only be perfect in your place, but I will stand in the gap before you and say, God, the Father, the just one, pour out your wrath on me, the only one who doesn't deserve it. And all of these who walk the face of the earth, who do deserve it, pour out your love. Let me be the substitute, the once and for all who can bring union again with God and his people because that is the very reason you and I were created. We're created to be with him, but we can't because of sin, and there is no religion anywhere that deals with the sin problem in a sufficient way except for the one centered on Jesus Christ. He is the only one who rectifies the sin nature within us, who causes us to be born again so that we, through faith in him, not only have newness of life here, as the kingdom of heaven comes to reign within us, but newness of life for all of eternity. Every world religion will leave you longing for more, but not in the way that it should. It'll leave you longing for more in this way. Is it enough? Is it enough? Am I doing enough? Am I getting there? Have I been good enough? And you always feel like you're under the thumb of whatever God that it is that you believe in. But Christianity says it is enough. It's finished, and you're not under my thumb because I poured out my wrath on Jesus. You're under the umbrella of my infinite, never-ending, never-giving up, always and forever, fully accepting, come be near me, not only now, but for all of eternity, love of God. That's the kingdom of heaven centered on Jesus. Jesus said it when he said in John 14:6. right after he said, hey, By the way, I'm going somewhere to prepare a place for you. Thomas speaks up. Thomas is only quoted like twice in scripture. And poor guy, this time is not good. He says, I don't know. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus gives this famous response. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And people say, well, isn't that so exclusive? How could you so, be so bold and say there's only one way? But if God is real and sin is real and the wrath of sin is real and God is who we want him to be as a just God and Jesus is the only way, then there is no better news. It's actually the greatest news of inclusivity to say there is a way and we wanna invite you all into it. That's not exclusive. That's come and be a part of the greatest news you'll ever hear. That's the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the only way. How do you get to heaven? Faith in Jesus, because he is the only one. So what's the point of heaven? What's the point of heaven? Well, to put it simply, kids, I gave you all the Sunday school answers. It's Jesus, right? You're in Sunday school. If you grew up in church, teacher asks a question. You don't even know what the answer is, but if you say Jesus, you got a good chance of getting it right. (laughs) What's the point of heaven? Let me read to you this quote from John Piper that just sums up what we're getting at here. He says this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth, And all the foods you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters could you be satisfied with heaven? Now, I don't know anybody, myself included, who would go, Yeah, I don't want that. I mean, it's everything that we long for in this life, we want things to be better. So there's no pain, there's no disease, there's no sickness. Everything I've ever enjoyed on this earth is there. All the beautiful scenery, the mountaintops, the valleys, the beaches, all of it, the best relationships, all of it is there. Would you be satisfied with it? And if you're like me, your instinct is to say, well, yeah, of course I'd be satisfied with that. But then John Piper asks the critical question to finish the question he's asking here. Could you be satisfied with it if Christ were not there? Sometimes our longing is for the very, is good. It's a good longing to want those things, but it's not based on what it should be. Because if we were created by him and for him, then that means that what heaven is primarily about is him. And even though we can't really fathom it, most of us have this picture of heaven of like clouds, harps, angels, and then we sing a song like we do often in church. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, you go, how many years? Because we're missing the fact that the very essence of our fulfillment is found in Jesus. It's not found in all those other things, but he's so good, he doesn't just bring us into this place after death that's just him. It's all those things centered on him he says, I am the one in whom for all of eternity, you will will find your deepest satisfaction. Because listen to what Piper finishes with. He says, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God and people who would be happy in heaven. If Christ were not there, don't miss this. They won't be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. The gospel is a way to get people to God. That's what we were created for. He is who we are created for. So, I'm gonna leave you hanging a little bit. I'm gonna pose a few questions that hopefully entice you to come back for the rest of this series. What if we've been What if our longing has been misplaced over the years? Not only that we're placing it not in Jesus, but we're also not understanding the full story of what's to come. What if this earth has a big part in what eternity is gonna look like? What if our bodies don't just stay in the grave for all of eternity, what if heaven isn't just this ethereal, spiritual thing out there, but it's really tangible and physical? What if Belinda Carlisle was right when she's saying in 1987, heaven is a place on earth? What if that, what, she didn't know she's right, but what if she is? Maybe she didn't know, I don't know, I can't judge her, never mind. <laughs> what happens to all this? What happens to the physical world? Here's the thing, we don't think about that enough. Maybe we've never thought about that at all, but the Bible talks about it a lot. And so we'll talk about it a lot. And it's gonna be really good. Can I say that? Can I talk about like, uh, not because I'm, I'm saying what the Bible says is really good. And I hope you'll come back for it. Let me pray. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your grace and your goodness in giving us the word of God. And we pray, oh God, that you would teach us through it. Would you help us see and understand the realities of heaven centered on you, O oh King Jesus. We give ourselves to you. We pray this morning that there would be some who would, for the very first time, begin to see what you have ordered and what you have planned and that our lives are only found ultimately in you. So we thank you. Be praised even as we sing now. Would you be glorified, God? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.